0: is uh is this thing on hello okay well my name is cheyenne tyler jacobs and i am the host of as i was saying podcast consider me your best friend that's not just gonna let you sit there and think problematic thoughts so sit back relax make sure you're following us on instagram as i was saying podcast follow me she will speak and let's get it popping on this week's episode Hello everyone and welcome back to As I Was Saying Podcast. Happy Thursday. I am your host, Cheyenne Tyler Jacobs, and I'm so excited to chop it up with you again this week. So this week we have another interview. Y'all know I love myself some interviews, um, but I gotta, you know, split it out for y'all because these people are amazing and they each need like their own time to like really let their messages sit with you. So this week, we actually had the opportunity to speak to Leah. So I was able to connect with Leah over Instagram, where I feel like I've been meeting like a good amount of people lately. And I feel like because of COVID-19, we actually got to have some deep and honest conversations, especially within the sexual violence prevention sector. And I decided to bring her on today to talk about Deeper and other conversations that we both felt were kind of missing from sexual violence prevention. So, Leah is a clinical social worker who has worked in the field of sexual violence for over a decade. She is queer, Jewish, and a Leo through and through. Leah is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and uses her personal and professional passions to create survivor centered spaces everywhere she goes. So, I am really excited again for this episode. I'm excited for the conversations that we were able to have, I feel like I definitely learned some new things, learned some new terminology, and definitely, I think, um, was able to get information that only helped to assure me of the path I'm taking when it comes to sexual violence prevention and my own healing. So sit back, relax, and let's see here. I'm going to one day get here the first time, y'all, but until then, it's going to be all right. Take a step back, sit back, and welcome Leah to As I Was Saying Podcast hello everyone and welcome back to as i was saying podcast so i am very excited for the guests that we have today so you know COVID definitely had us stuck in the house still has it stuck in the house y'all better be in the house why are you outside but with that I have been able to connect and deeply connect to a lot of wonderful folks that I have come across on this wonderful world of social media and I know sometimes social media gets a rep of being this very bad and toxic place but I think it could be whatever you make it so today I'm excited to introduce you all to Leah how are you doing today
1: Hey, how you know? Doing doing
0: great. <laughs> awesome. So me and Leah connected um through Instagram. And since then, I feel like we we just we just feeling each other. Like I, yeah. I think that's the best way to describe it.
1: <laughs> yes, I feel like that's 100% accurate. Yes.
0: <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just we're vibing. So Leah, if you can take a moment to tell everyone who you are and the work that you do. And we're going to get into these questions because I'm, I'm very excited for your episode to add some clarity, you know, to some of the topics that have been coming up, not even just with 2020, but within these past few years with the Me Too
1: movement and survivorship. Yes. Thank you so much. So pumped to be here in my apartment, you know, talking to you. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm saying indoors, don't worry. But yeah, my name is Leah. Um, I use she, her pronouns. I've been working in, uh, working to end sexual violence, gender-based violence since I was like 19. I've been an advocate. I would respond to pages to the hospital when someone was assaulted and go sit with them do their SANE exam, their sexual assault nurse examination. If they wanted that, I would get paged out. So after doing that for all of undergrad, um, I went on to get my master's in social work at Loyola University Chicago racked up a lot of student debt, you know, Uh (laughs) I'm never gonna pay that back, right, (laughs) (laughs) I I feel you, yeah, I'm like, you know, maybe more than I should have, whatever, it's done, Um, went to Loyola, got my MSW, hung out there in Chicago for a while, doing some medical social work, um, and more um, advocacy and different roles that were really focused on the clinical side of social work. So I've been a therapist, a case manager, what a lot of different dip my toes in a lot of different things in social work, but I've always found myself coming back to roles that are about ending sexual violence, um, particularly on college campuses, but, um, also being invested in the community overall. Right. So, Currently I'm doing prevention education at a university and I also I'll do a quick plug for the Firecracker Foundation. It is in Lansing, Michigan and it services children who have been sexually abused Um, and also I'm on their advocacy committee helping to educate folks about Title IX and people's rights through K through 12 specifically on Title IX. So, shout out to Tajmika Torak. She is dope. Go give money to the Firecracker Foundation. <laughs> um, yes. But, yeah, that's a little bit about me. It's just every, I guess, like, if I could summarize my work that I do, it always is just coming back to making spaces better for survivors, you know, like, creating, whether it's virtual or physical space for survivors to share, um, not necessarily even stories, just share space and you know, create that community. So yeah, I think that's my, that's my little blurb. I'm over here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Moved here right when the pandemic started. So couldn't really well, tell really you a lot. welcome party. Right. Welcome to my apartment for the next six months where I have been with my dog. So <laughs> that's that's a little bit about me. I I love it. It's like so <laughs> Michigan
0: threw me a, a surprise pandemic party. I had no idea this yeah. is what I was. have um, I know it's like a global and I really love though, because I feel the same way in my you know, space of working with sexual violence prevention, like even if it is mm-hmm. a wide project, a volunteer, or it has mm-hmm. been a main part of my life, it is always there. And I think it yeah. is really, helpful that we have people who working not only consistently, but in different forms, you know, from you working Mm -hmm. in the hospital setting to working on a board to working on, you know, the Mm -hmm. campus side, because I think you get to see it from many different dimensions. So in a lot of your Mm -hmm. roles with advocacy, and especially, you know, with the years that you've been putting in, you know, seeing these movements grow, seeing the research come out, I feel we've definitely been having more conversations. I definitely feel more spaces are opening up, Mm. which is great. But where do you feel we are still missing conversations?
1: Mm. That's a good, thank you for that. (laughs) I feel like, okay, the first feeling that I got or like thought was that I, off the top of my head, I'm like the where I'm like, certainly K through 12 could use a lot more conversation, um, open and honest dialogue, and just more education, right? But I also think of, like, who? Like, who is even, like, taught that they're allowed to talk about that, or that it's okay to talk about it? And, like, the the people who feel that they're allowed to take up space as being a survivor. So, like, I think about people who are marginalized I think about people who aren't like white cis hetero women like that is usually the dominant narrative of what people think about or who are allowed to take up space as survivors so I think about that and then I also something that I've really really thought about in the past couple years I feel like I've kind of caught my stride a little bit more is this I also very ultimately talk about going to therapy and I I love my therapist Leslie what's up Leslie um love you girl <laughs> um, and something that I try to like kind of weave throughout my personal and professional practice is like uh, really reconnecting with that inner child that was never allowed to be safe or never had that safety that she deserved. right so I think about that and I think about how especially on like university settings I'm like take back in the night what's up we have all of this education and conversation around like alcohol and sexual violence and parties which is important and crucial but then I, I enter into the university setting as a student and a professional and I'm like no one's talking about childhood sexual assault, you know, or like the survivorship that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, we're still here. (laughs) Like it's still, it still affects us. So like where, like, that's another part of where I'm like, who gets to take up space? Like, because childhood sexual abuse, especially when it's within the family, like it was for me, it's like, people don't know how to navigate that. It's not as like clean cut of being like, i stay in intervention just stop your friend you know it's like oh this is a little more complicated so (laughs) i think when you know a survivor story or identity or whatever isn't doesn't fit into that box like it's not it needs to happen (laughs) you know
0: and i and and Uh i'm thanking you so much too for your transparency for sharing Uh you know the survivorship of that childhood sexual abuse because i think that It adds again to your advocacy and the work that you do. And always, as I'm sure you know, making sure that you are free to take up that space and also that you're practicing that self-care and healing from yourself. Because as a fellow survivor, I know sometimes it's so hard when we like push for so much prevention, we push for so much, you know, having these conversations that sometimes Mm -hmm. we have to remember that we ourselves were are still going through that survivorship. So I just want to share that with you because I still have my healing process, you know, to go through. So With that, I wanted definitely to ask, because I was having a conversation with one of my friends, actually my line admin, she is a therapist, and she actually asked me, she's like, I feel like you are more perverse in this field, like basically talking about how we talk about sex, sex education, and and basically its relationships to sexual violence. And I, I agree with what Mm -hmm. you're saying that when it comes through K through 12, we are missing the mark. And I think we want to, you know, have these, what is it like the orientation where you do Mm -hmm. a skit and when you have to go into school, you like the, the no more, you know, do the certificate. And it's like you said, like, you know, someone just went through all these years of either surviving, Mm -hmm. being a victim of, or even maybe learning, Mm -hmm. you know, how to unfortunately Mm -hmm. be a perpetuator of sexual violence because they were taught. If that's okay and then at 18 we stick a bunch of people especially in the sector of education, a bunch of people on a campus and we're just like, okay, like just just go right How do you feel the lack of sexual education, the lack of understanding and really mm-hmm. talking about, not only our bodies mm-hmm. but what happens and mm-hmm. the policing even of children's bodies actually adds to the perpetu- to the perpetuation of rape and also victim blaming cuz mm-hmm. I don't think we talk enough about that.
1: Yes. Oh my god. All of that. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um yeah. Hold on, I'm pausing to like um yeah I feel like when we shy away from those conversations like children we don't give children enough credit first of all (laughs) um to like speak or even have autonomy over themselves um so there's that that gets socialized from so early on that like your body isn't your own right like from so many different messaging in our world like we're already taught that quite young right so then when that's reinforced constantly, like it's internalized so much that your body isn't yours. And I mean, you're not literally told that, right? But it's like, like you're saying, like the police, like, I just think of like dress codes in school and like how, ugh, like, I'm just thinking about like gross things. Like when I've heard teachers say in K through 12, like, you know, about not showing your shoulders, it'll distract men. And it's like, okay, a lot of things going on there. (laughs) It's like, number one, don't sexualize children, first and foremost. Um, Number two, uh, let's give, like, let's give boys and men, like, more credit. You know, we don't need to say that they're monsters who can't control themselves. That's not true. (laughs) And then also, like, I feel... I think about how when people do come to college campuses, like I forgot the exact percentage, but a very, very large percent of them have already been victimized by sexual violence. They've already been in a violent, unhealthy relationship. They've already right. been experiencing all this trauma and surviving. So I'll be honest with you, when I was doing programming and like thinking about things on campus, I'm really approaching it in a way where I'm like, How can we retru- how can we lessen? re-traumatization and how can I help build a community of people who are going to support and believe someone so that we can create this space of healing and like empowerment and like people supporting each other so like I feel like like I'm, I'm already meeting people well that's part of social work right or like social justice in general it's just let's let's meet people where they're at and frankly in college it's like it, they've already experienced all this trauma. So how do we lessen the impact of re that not only the system within higher ed perpetuates, but also that like other people interpersonally perpetuate too. So I think about that a lot. And then I think about, uh, like I, I hear a lot of folks when we think about sexual violence, particularly in relationship violence, like looking towards like, if someone would have just like taught them or told them something different, right? There's that, and then there's also though something that I talk about a lot is like choice, and this makes me think about. Um, oh, I can't remember. I'm not going to address this. I saw this other podcast breaking down like a really popular influencer who was outed, and it's like um, talking about how how do I frame this? Where it's like. If we're saying, you know, these people who are perpetrators just need some more education, maybe it just would have happened, right? And then they have this conversation, though, where it's like, no, like, like, they still made that choice, though, right? And like, hundreds of thousands of millions of survivors grow up in a violent home, or they grow up having been abused, and they're not perpetrators. So I feel like when I hear things like that too, I'm just like, "Mm, that's like so internalized that like, you're gonna become like, like that you're the problem, you know, like, like, especially childhood survivors, like, you're taught to like, carry the shame and guilt. And also like, you know, it's your fault, etc, etc. So then if you also put in that narrative too, where it's like, you're destined to be like this similar to what we do to men, where it's like, this is your destiny. Like you will be a perpetrator. <laughs> like, like, what are we doing? Like, what is that? You know, like. Um, and then I think about data too, where it's like, uh, it's I don't know exactly how they collect this, or, you know, not sure um, how they get this, but that a large majority of men are not perpetrators, like statistically, but but like the majority of perpetrators are men. So I think about like, how do we change this narrative? That's like, especially to men where it's like, you're going to be a perpetrator, or you're gonna be like, falsely accused, quote, unquote. Um, that That's like another thing about that. But, <laughs> right? Yeah, know? that that's
0: its own topic. And
1: it's like, mm. yeah, but anyway, I, I feel like I'm just like, ugh, going off. But yeah, that's, a lot of thoughts. That's that's a very good question. I mean, no, I think of so many things.
0: All <laughs> these thoughts are very needed. And I know like, like it was a lot and that was, a, it was a big question, but I think it's needed because I love what you said that, you know, reframing even how to teach or how to present this, these conversations, you know, when you get mm-hmm. to the higher education um you know the higher education level because like you're saying which is true um by the time people are in college it's like you said the numbers show especially if you're someone within the bipoc community especially if you're somebody who is in the queer community especially if you're someone who's just marginalized as a whole you have either experienced or already had some form of unwanted sexual contact like some aspect of sexual violence sexual abuse you have already been a part of that unfortunately umbrella so like you said Mm -hmm. for us to kind of teach this as Mm -hmm. if it is a new concept is number one like erasing everyone else's trauma so i like thank you thank Mm. you definitely for saying Mm -hmm. that because that's that's essentially erasing people's trauma like this is all new to you and it's like yes no it's not (laughs) yeah so like number one that's erasing the trauma and i think you're right if we took a lot of these conversations at this level from like, hey, we're trying not to re-traumatize you. Let, let's go over the resources we have here because also why don't we use this, this age group as even a healing process? It's even like, hey, like, you move to this state, and maybe there's finally a mm-hmm. resource that you can use. And like you said, a lot of times we use it as a, hey, don't do this, and yes. don't do that. And it's, it's again, a 90-minute 90, <laughs> 90 conversation, and you'll probably forget about mm-hmm. it. And, ooh, like, that's really how I felt it was for mm-hmm. me. Like, yep, that's my right. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah.
0: I like how you're mm-hmm. like that's that's exactly mm-hmm. what they told me just play it and just walk away and you're like okay mm-hmm. um so we don't take this serious okay great when I, I wrote that down because you're so right because I've I've been having a lot of internal conversations on like how how to reframe right and like this actually goes into my next question because I think when we talk about sexual violence prevention and we talk about these conversations and that's kind of where I asked like I think we, we are lacking in a lot of, I, I think we're lacking in a lot of conversations, right? You know, to your point in the beginning, a lot of the people we are talking about, you know, again, are a needed, you know, anyone that is a survivor, and I'll say this for anyone listening, your story and, and your existence is necessary. Mm-hmm. Like, we need your story. We we need to address what happened to everyone, because that's the only way everyone will be able to be safe, right? But if we are, like you said, centering a lot of white Cisgendered folks, that is only just one, one, you know, part Mm -hmm. of everybody else. And I feel like a lot of these conversations don't make it to a lot of marginalized communities. And I think a big conversation where I personally feel, and I would love your, your opinions and your thoughts on it, when it comes to sexual violence, is sexual violence to your point in relationships that are family. And I think a big one that no one really touches on, and this is where. I think a lot of people see a gray area when it comes to consent, which is consensual relationship. You're in a consensual partnership and you are sexually assaulted. What does that look like? And where, why do you feel like there is not a lot of education there? Like I am with my boyfriend, Uh, girlfriend, partner, and I am sexually assaulted, but it's like, I don't know what that looks like. And I think a lot, and again, this is like me giving my opinion, because I think the problem is a lot of the way we have framed prevention is still very much in the mindset of someone that we don't know. We need to be honest with ourselves. (laughs) A lot of the folks doing this work that, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the way our reporting works, a lot of the way our our support groups work as if we don't know these persons or to your point that there's a separation but no when they're Mm -hmm. the partner the boyfriend the girlfriend the family Mm -hmm. member, what does that
1: look like you uh, this is so good this is so good I'm telling you (laughs) you know we're deep we are deep
0: over here and I'd also (laughs) like to point out for everyone listening like to have these conversations in real life And really get down to nitty gritty. I don't, I I don't think we're addressing, we're not addressing Mm -hmm. everybody. So I, and I also think when you're at a certain Mm -hmm. level, you're able to have these conversations in a way that is self caring for yourself. So I also just want to put
1: that out. Like when you hear Mm -hmm. our laughter or like, ooh,
0: if we're not making light yes. of the situation. Oh,
1: thank you for saying that.
0: Yeah. Cause I, I don't want anyone to feel like where this situation is small. I also mm-hmm. think we're just at a place of both of our survivorships and advocacy. Mm-hmm. We're able to have these conversations on even more of a casual setting.
1: Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I feel like that's, that's so true is like, you'll get to a point in your journey where you're just like, you like I'm like excited to talk about these things right, like, like I'm like I want to you know? know like what do you think
0: like yes <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yes that yep so real um okay so many things I feel like like we kind of hinted at this earlier a little bit like I feel like there's no conversations or education or acknowledgement of when you're with your abuser or still in contact with them Because sexual violence prevention is so contingent on carceral feminism and on the prison industrial complex that people have no idea how to handle this. They don't know what to do when it's like, yeah, I still talk to my family member who hurt me. Or like, yeah, I'm still dating my significant other who sexually assaulted me, but I love them. People don't know what to do with that because they can't conceive beyond okay, well, we take the bad person and we put them in jail, then it's all good. And it's like, wow. no. Oh my gosh. I love it. No, I'm writing yes. this down. Yes. I am writing this down. Yes. You're absolutely and right. And that's why the work that we do as like survivors, as advocates or whatever, like we, like in my eyes, like when I think about it, I'm like, this is abolition work because we're looking for that like system that we need to create that already does, that, that, that I don't think exists of what is an alternative to this carceral like, mentality of, we put this person away, because that's not healing for, sur- not, I mean, it might be healing for survivors, like, that might be an avenue, right, that's valid and fine, like, there's a lot to unpack about who has access, or who gets, um or who's allowed to access those spaces, and the implications of that within, like, you know, the prison system, or what have you, but I mean, that's not what a lot of survivors want and people don't know how they have no idea. Cause they're like, well, we only have A or B. Like we don't even know we haven't even invented C. Mm-hmm. So sorry. <laughs> like that's it. And then you try to do more radical work. You try to do work to organize survivors. You try to do this. And then that's where even more policing comes in by more white, cis, hetero women who especially our social work? I mean, I'm a social worker, but I mean, I interact with so many social workers who I'm like, are you a cop or a social worker? Because you're just policing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm <laughs> sipping tea because I know a few. Oh, there's too many.
0: <laughs> there are a lot,
1: <laughs> you know, they're going into spaces and policing and I've heard of, like other clinicians and social workers and stuff who are like, well, these survivors, like, might not know what they want right away. Their brain is processing trauma. And I'm like, no, 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 Yes, they're still processing trauma, but honor that. Like, honor those choices because you are no different than anyone else telling someone what to do with their life or body if you're going to be like, no, you can't make this decision. Because some survivors are like, I just want an apology right now. And some people are like, well, they don't know. If that's what, technology". it's like, yes, they do. Like, right. like survivors and, again,
0: and again to your point mm. if what and this is what i'm saying i i i think the research i think the research and the numbers is there right i think i think the data is there and i think the more data we get it only helps to prove what we're saying we're not having the right conversations mm-hmm. because you have the data of rape trauma syndrome right mm-hmm. that you know it takes the, the the mental health toll that is taking on you all these different things that we know like the processing of it right and like you said we know that most of most if not basically all but most of the time it is someone that you mm-hmm. know that could be the parent the friend the consensual relationship so to your point how are you supposed to tell somebody the apology is not their way to healing and i think when you tell somebody that's not it you're just re-traumatizing and re-victimizing them because what you're telling them is once again your mm. body and your mind is not yours which is exactly mm. what
1: they just experienced mm. yep. <laughs>
0: that's all you told because again like and I use this example because like, you said the complexity how are you like you have someone's the brother the girl's brother's best friend comes over and mm-hmm. sees sexually by the brother's best friend mm-hmm. how, how do you tell them like like you said that relationship dynamic how do you tell them how to navigate that and how do you tell them their way of navigating is wrong you don't know their relationship with their brother. yeah they're they're here and again I think we don't understand, you know. I think, like you said, a lot of these cops social workers <laughs> yeah. that try to police people's minds don't understand, like you said, the relationships. Like, well, why don't they just do this? This is their brother's best friend. They're mm-hmm. pro- they, I promise you, in their mind, they're probably trying to think about, well, how exactly does this now affect me and my brother's relationship? Mm-hmm. They're trying to process that. And again, in a world where we blame the victim, in a world where it's, well, what did you wear? What did you do? In a world where even for males because no one talks about the fact that they experience sexual violence and unwanted sexual contact as well but we tell them if it's by a someone who is a woman or female presenting that it did not happen if it's by someone who is male then homophobia comes into play oh yeah where it's like oh "Oh, so if you were raped by a man then it's like you must be gay so it's like their men are like (sighs) definitely not reporting what's happening so yeah, I definitely agree with you that we have too much of a put them in jail A or B mindset, and that that does yep. not work. That does not work. I feel like when and like you said, it works for some people. I do think for a lot of people, justice for them is like I want them, I want them in jail, I want them here. But even me, sure. you know, I'm 25 and I've been out of college since 2017. But still, even working mm-hmm. with survivors on campus, I can tell you honestly. Their ask are really just, I want them held accountable in the context Mm -hmm. that we're in. And we are like, no, no, you don't. Or we tell them, well, that's, they're not going to do that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Oh my gosh. Thank, thank you. I I really wrote that down. And I I think, you know, as a fellow Mm -hmm. advocate, you helped verbalize for me what, what has been happening, where it is. It's like our incarceration mindset I think it's seeping into, you know, this work too much.
1: Uh, uh-huh. I feel like I had went to a conference at U of M like a couple of years ago. And I, for the life of me, can't remember who was speaking, but yeah, they were going in hard about carceral feminism and they were like, so, like it it was so amazing and, and I was like, How have I been missing that piece like for so long? Right. Like, I feel like you just you know gave it to me, I'm about to come in like y'all, I I know yes. what happened. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And like survivors just as much I think I've said this and like to my friends or whatever, but it's like just as much as like survivors know what happened to them and we we like our bodies tell us we like you know, like yeah. you know what what happened we also know, or will get there eventually to know what we need. So just anytime that people are not centering like what a survivor is needing, even if they can't verbalize that choice right away or what, what have you, I'm like let people make their own decisions. Mm-hmm. And, and even if it is like their decision is, I just, I will keep talking to them or I'm going to still date them. Like I've had I've had so many patients who are client, I don't really like client patients, who am I, what am I, doctor, I'm not a doctor, Uh, (laughs) like, but folks that I've worked with, like, yeah, they are dating their, like, abuser, and we talk about it, and I'm, and I'm never gonna sit there and be like, well, you should go, that's it, because, because I'm not a cop, dude. Right, and, and I think what people
0: fail to realize, too, is I, I, when people always ask me, what's the answer, I was like, you're supposed to be walking with somebody mm. not running in front of them
1: oh i love that and i think I and
0: that. i think too many times because again i my past job was in the social work realm and mm-hmm. i saw a lot of that like well they should mm. be over here who are you like who who are you to tell them that and guess what you're right because like let's like let's call it what it is we we are seeing a bird's eye view of the situation so we're looking at a situation like this this is not working there might be you know some harm coming here but guess what like you said you can't just tell somebody, leave. Telling Mm-mm. them to leave is not going to help. You, like you said, have to do the work, work with them, guide them. I've had, I have personally have, like you said, people I've worked with who, when they first initially told me, like, my first sexual interaction was when I was five. And I was like, mm, that's a problem in my head. I knew. And it took me 10 months to work for, to work with them, for them to finally call it childhood sexual assault. That matters. Right, this right. Is not This is not just a, yo, 24 hours. You know, I and again it was not it was not funny mm-hmm. i was just like oh my gosh i was working with someone and we made it to that level yeah so somebody else told them their story and they're like that's childhood sexual assault it's like i'm like i see i see where you're going they're like i get it i got i but... got that you were very excited <laughs> to help somebody yes. but we you just can't put put that on them there's a it's,
1: Yes,
0: because he he was just very ready to be like "Bet we are ending yes. sexual
1: violence today oh honey <laughs> right like, I get I that I get that I've been you I am if you, you saw it, like he really
0: pointed at the person who was like that and luckily they were already in state to process it and they knew but he was just like
1: that's yeah. called that and it's like we
0: don't do that that yeah. <laughs>
1: You're like no n- n- no 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 like no, we no. I get that energy. I get you. Right. I'm but, like I'm happy that you
0: were yes. excited to to like mm-hmm. I am ex- I too. am excited for your journey. However, yes. right, you hit you know you got to hit people with the however. However. Got to learn how <laughs> we're guiding. We're guiding. We're not yes. running. you you sprinted in front of them. Yeah, you oh yeah. You you like took off took off like I it was like I think after we just wrapped up our session and we walked up you know and then he was just ready and I'm like well it took me a moment to realize
1: like I'm like you know I appreciate like you said I appreciate it so Mm -hmm. yeah I I love it (laughs) I love that like I appreciate you saying that so however
0: (laughs) right because I because I was like I'm like keep it like yes I love I'm like you know and like I said this is another thing too which leads into my next question because Mm, I do mm -hmm. think we have so many people now speaking out. We have so many survivors coming forward. We have people wanting to actually invest time in like helping and and aiding in sexual violence prevention work as they can. Like I, you know, I'm very happy when I talk to some of my friends and I'm like, oh, what did you do today? And they're like, actually, I reached out to these organizations to see in what context I can help. And I'm like, wow, like that's awesome that you're doing that. So especially when it comes to social media, right? Because I I said this before, I think even on my page that people sometimes don't understand why survivors have to go on social media. So a lot of times, as we know, especially if it's, I mean, it doesn't even matter what, if you're an education system, your job, a lot of these systems fail. Seeking justice Mm -hmm. as we just, you know, for anyone listening, as I think we just clarified, like the justice is not Mm -hmm. there. So a lot of people turn to social media to be like, okay, well, now I have to kind of put you on blast to hold you accountable. So my question for you to someone who's worked in so many different sectors, and I know for our listeners, this, this might be a more sobering topic, but I, I really wanted to ask you this, Leah, because mm, what mm-hmm. does it look like to, to go on social media? And what advice do you have for survivors looking to do that? Because I think sometimes folks are not prepared for number one, even the support that they get. Like, I don't think a lot of people are the stories they're about mm. to get. And it's like, Whoa, like this might be traumatizing hearing Other people just kind of tell me Mm -hmm. their same stories, you know? So how, how, what does that look like? And also let's, to be honest, what does it look like if backlash
1: comes? Like, how do you handle all of that? Right. Oh, that is so important. I like, my disclaimer is like, if you're a survivor and you're like, I want to post this and out my abuser. I'm like, you do that. Like that is a hundred percent. Like support you, you. That is your choice, hundred percent. I also like what you're saying, though. Where you're like, keep in mind, like this is. It's almost like, <laughs> like I feel like social media. I just had like a like what a cynical chuckle. I was like, <laughs> like I almost feel like social media has become people's like place for justice because again, we don't have a system where anyone can get some you know a release like some like a cathartic release of being like I don't have to carry this because you know like so I'll say this without naming my friend obviously she had uh came to me and was like I think I want to out my perpetrator like I see him like so many of my friends hang out with him still and etc etc and like this is like a like was like a hetero like cis relationship. So there's I feel like when we're talking about outing someone within the commu- the queer community, way smaller. <laughs> like like especially within the small town of Grand Rapids that I'm in, I'm like, I already have a sense of who the queer people are here. Like very small anyway, I digress. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like just I'm just me Um but so when she was speaking to me about it, I said something similar to like, cause she was asking me, she was like, you know, should I post this? Like I feel like I'm ready. And I'm like, I think you have the answer, you know, like if you feel that you're ready, do it. And then, so then obviously like going to be different for anyone, but for her, she was, she was having a lot of anxiety after she posted it. She didn't sleep like, and then very parallel to what you just said um, about receiving support. She did not expect the outpour of people being like I believe you like I'm so sorry I'm gonna unfollow him I'm deleting him you know those sorts of things that are just like I'm with you like let me know what you want and again it's like those experiences of people posting and then someone being like I'm with you like let me know how I can help that's like best case I just gave the best case scenario in in the planet that you could ever receive um so then flip side to that right there may be people who are going to say really hurtful, re-traumatizing things, and if right. you are posting on your social media, like I know sometimes if I post something even slightly like opinionated or you know something like that, I'm even checking to see if anyone comments. So I think that there's that layer of anxiety, or again, like some re-traumatization. But I'm like, even as I'm saying that, I'm like, how is that? different or worse or whatever than if someone chose to go through the criminal justice system. You know what I mean? Or like, like right
0: it's and it's sad that it that it's like that and I actually like what you said before where it's like social media has become a platform for justice and like facts it's like can I get justice with a side of fries (laughs) over here because I ain't doing it yeah because it's like you see it you see like someone can do six months of like at their university or at their job or like in their community of like hey this person did this and it's like quiet Mm -hmm. posted for Minutes And it goes, and, it, and people start, it's like, okay, and
1: yes. no you get called back quick. Yes. Like you actually get a response. You get a response because when you go through these systems, I feel like it just silences you more. It stuffs you down more. Whereas at least if you're posting on your social media, you get to, it, it's yours. Like that's your account. Mm-hmm. You get to post it. The thing that I will say that I hate is that labor always falls back on survivors to seek out any justice or healing it's always on survivors and i'm like oh like i hate that like like there's a bunch of university like twitter accounts that i was seeing pop up of people submitting stories of you know their perpetrators who they are and they you know what have you and i was like this is like really really gracious <laughs> like, of survivors to share their stories and come out that way. And it's, I'm just like, this doesn't feel fair, though. It doesn't feel fair that the burden is always on survivors to fix things, to, like, you know, I, again, I love Tajmika who I talked about earlier from the Firecracker Foundation, and she posted something that was, like, saying, you know, like, survivors, like, we, we know how to, like, survive. Like, we don't need systems to, like, police us or tell us how to, like, we know how, um, so, I don't know, I, so I don't have any, like, super solid advice for the social media outings, other than, like, to expect anything, you know, like, you might get some support, you may get some messages, even from your perpetrator, which could be hard if that's not what you're, um, hoping for, right, like, um, but yeah, I think that everyone's different and well, that's such a lame thing to say. Everyone's different,
0: obviously. Uh, <laughs> no, but you know what? I, I think I, I think even that is helpful, right? Because like you said, and I think acknowledging the anxiety from both good, you know, bad responses is important because you're right. You know, you're, you, you might post and then might be like, oh my God, like I did that. Mm-hmm. And I also think maybe from what I've seen from people I know who've outed their abusers or even outed institutions, you know, that mm. them, I think is definitely maybe having, um, a support system on your end. Yes, People that it's like, okay, I did
1: this. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think that that's a very good point of having someone so similarly to my friend who like reached out to me and she's like, I'm probably going to be hitting you up a lot in the next couple of days. And I'm like, please do. I am available. So I like that of actually having a tangible thing, right? Like, if you are thinking about doing that, making sure that you're just gonna surround yourself with the most like love and support and validation possible because you may go back down that road of doubting yourself, blaming yourself, feeling Mm -hmm. guilty, feeling shameful, thinking about my friend who did it. She, I now I'm remembering even more. She was texting me a lot of being like, I feel bad for him, like, you know. I wonder what he's going through. And I'm like, I'm like, you deserve to have a moment about yourself. Like, you you don't need you. Like, you can worry about what he's feeling, and what he's going through. But you also deserve to worry about yourself and what you're going through and take up space in that way. You know, mm, so
0: right. And I And I think that's a lot of what we do, too. I think it's like, again but I think that goes with the victim blaming that is placed Mm. on survivors to where you're already Mm -hmm. like it's my fault so even when you think about outing someone Mm -hmm. somehow you try to like rationalize in your head how you were a part of the problem so if I tell that they did it you know am I really fair because I did this so I also thank you for acknowledging that oh my god I I think we all do that I think it's like (laughs) but you know I went there like I've heard some people even say that as Mm -hmm. simple as that like you know when it was a consensual relationship and it was like but I went there Mm. and it's like okay so like like that don't mean that you said this was okay so I think even acknowledging that as something that could come up is is definitely unfortunately something natural and again like I don't think it's not even I don't think it's not anyone's individual's fault mm-hmm. and oh, it's literally yeah. like the way the system is played to be like well mm-hmm. what could you have done right I told somebody like you know, no other crime like breaks into your house and it's like well what could you have done right to, like, <laughs> prevent this like no they take a list of your stuff and like feel bad for you and it's like dang like I feel mm-hmm. like sexual violence and, and domestic violence,
1: too, are the only things where it's like, mm-hmm. well, let's really think about this. It's like, what is there to think about? Like, Yeah, but, like, who is this hard to think about for? Or, like, who is this confusing for? Right, because it's, it's, it's not me. Because <laughs> no. it's, it's not me at all. Cause, <laughs> no. Huh,
0: I'm sorry, I just had, went on my tangent. I'm like, I feel like nothing else, we have to, like, rationalize this hard, so... Uh, to to mm-hmm. to close us out with this with this last question because i think this is again i when i was thinking about our interview i was like i really want questions that i feel like people aren't not to say i don't think are are not asking but things that i think people want to know more of so in your experience how someone who is you know the friend or the family or a fear, or a peer you know when someone confides in them so this is now the person that is receiving that information how do they help them go about seeking resources? Or what does it look like to be that person that is, is on the helping or receiving end of this, of this story? You know, cause I think a lot of people, they want to help, but they really are just like, I don't, I don't know what to do now with this information. And I think there is a lot of fear of people who do know, cause mm-hmm. I've definitely gotten the calls from people who it's like, mm-hmm. my friend told me this happened to them. And it's like, okay, yes. it's like, they're like I, I don't know what to do. In your experience, what are some avenues or some things or even some simple like, yes. you know, ask these questions to really aid in that? Because I'm happy, again, I'm, I'm very happy that I feel a lot of people are, are trying to do their own work to your point. Take take the stress off as survivors to heal themselves, find the resources, take themselves to the Ooh. appointment, take themselves to therapy. Mm-hmm. And other people are like, okay, I got you, but like what does I have you mean? Yes. Yeah.
1: It's like, I yeah, got like you. what does I got you
0: mean? <laughs> yeah. Because I've had so many DMs of like, okay, someone told me this and I don't know what to do. Yeah. like, I want to help them, but I just I don't know
1: yes. what to do. Yes. Uh, and I love that too. Like Number one, I feel like people who are already like seeking out, I'm not sure what to do already on the right track because I feel like when someone does disclose or like tell someone about it and an instinct is to be like, how do I fix this right now? How do I make you feel better right now? And the answer to that is that you can't and that's okay. And that, that is like, another like expectation that we have of ourselves sometimes that we're just like I want to fix this pain I want to take this I want you know so I think just like holding that space number one like you're already so like whenever I talk about it I'm like it is you should be so grateful that someone is trusting you with that like that is so gracious of a survivor to share and also like when someone disposes to me I'm like thank you for, like, thank you for telling me, like, like, I believe you, and you didn't deserve that. Very simple things like that, right? Just, like, affirming, Um, and then, like, in the same vein of what you and I have been talking about, it's, like, not telling people what to do, but more so asking, what do you need right now? Like, how can I support you right now? So not necessarily putting I don't want to say put the burden on the, sur- put that burden back on the on the survivor, right? Of being like, so tell me what you need to heal. What do you need to feel justice, right? Not asking those big questions, but again, me, right? Like meeting people where they're at then and there, right? And knowing that like not everyone is a crisis intervention specialist, like not everyone's a therapist, we would, the whole world would be so annoying if all of us were therapists. I feel like you, you would understand that. Like, (laughs) like, because sometimes when I talk to my therapist friends, I'm like, I know what you're doing. Stop. Um, but yeah. So knowing that, and then I also, so I wasn't even going to bring this up, but I also have made a zine, um, called, I actually offline, I want to get your address and send you some copies of it. It's called, um, the do's and don'ts of supporting survivors of sexual assault. And it's, like very simple. Yes. It's like a very simple, um, do this, do this, don't do this. Like, don't ask the why questions that comes off accusatory and can, you know, like, and if you're asking detailed questions, don't (laughs) Right, like you don't need to know detailed information, like, you know, things like that. And just being able to hold that space and knowing that, like, you're not going to be able to fix it and that's okay. Just, Meet, meet them where they're at and like yeah like whatever they want next and I actually like that you said you know from the from
0: I think the first thing that you said was was really important like the fact that they disclose this to you is is like just acknowledge that in itself because I think the fact like I know when I've disclosed to people like I'm disclosing to you you might not feel like you're capable of doing something but you are mm. Mm-hmm. because the fact that I told you means I'm already identifying that there's something within even if you said like maybe all I want from you is just to sit there and just to know this. yes I just need someone to know I just need mm-hmm. to know that I am not the only carrying this and I think at different points in my journey like I've just told some people just to be like I have these emotions and it's really hard because like this happened and I, I'm, I'm still dealing with it and it's like whoa okay and it's like like you said like there's nothing that you at this moment can do. And I think, again, when you're at different parts of your healing, like, again, like some of those conversations sound different. So, like, now I'm, I'm at my place where I can tell people, like, honestly, there's nothing that you particularly can do, but like, just be here, just do what you're doing. But I just want you to know that, like, this is what I go through and, like, this is why this happens. And it's like, it's just a hard time right now. Yes. So, I do think for a lot of people who are, you know, receiving this this, this information, like, just know if someone trusts you with that, like, you already, your existence is already somehow helping
1: them yes oh my god yes <laughs> <That>. <laughs> right right and it's also okay like I I feel like I do tell a lot of people but I don't ever expect like if I disclose like like in a space I'm not always I feel like people make that assumption you know that like someone is seeking like what should I do next But I feel like what you said just resonated with me so much where, like, I'm also in a state where I'm, like, I just want you to, like, know that if I get, like, a text from, like, a certain family member, like, people would just be like, oh, that's annoying. But it's like, no, there's, like, way – there are very layered reasons of trauma why this is upsetting, (laughs) right? And just not having to explain that to someone because, like, they already know is so, like – I don't know what other word to say other than special. It's like very um yeah, it's freaking goddamn it's special. Okay. That <laughs> no, you can share that. <laughs> this
0: is where this is where I tell people the time and I, I was explaining it to one of my friends when I was having like just a really like rough emotional day. I'm like, this is where it is so bothersome when you hear, you know, our administration and courts and all these people talk about sexual violence, and it's like, you know you know, when you, when you out someone, it's like, well, you're ruining their life. Cause now they have to drop out of school and now they lose a job and now they do this. And it's like, what people don't realize is like, mm. this is now a lifetime journey we have to take. Like, this is now something like, you know, like people mm-hmm. say, like, I don't have any children right now. Right. But it's like, I already know because it's like, I could potentially have a child and then boop, all those things would come right mm-hmm. back up in another form. Cause now it's like, you're looking at the child and I'm like, damn. So this, I really right. told like my, my, my line, up who's a therapist. Like, so this shit really don't end. So it's just really like, it's just dealing with it in different contexts. Yes. And that's why I think we need more conversations mm. like we are having even right now to mm. be able to show even other survivors, like, you know, this is, this is like, I'm telling mm. you, like, this is unfortunate. Like, I, I, I promise you, like, this is not a club that I wish more people would join. Like, yes.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I am at a place where I am relieved. That there are more spaces to just be like, you know, you know, I'm a, I'm a BIPOC woman and this is my experience. I'm queer and you know this is my experience. Or I'm neurodiverse and this is my experience. Where now we're even having these conversations to really be like, hey, like like you said, this is not just this um, cisgendered like way of looking at sexual violence. This is not just you know an a, an adult conversation. There's also childhood abuse. So, and I really do thank you for coming on the podcast. And talking with us, because I think with conversations like this, we will not only get to a place where we can prevent sexual violence, but I think we'll also get to a place where, you know, survivors of it will be able to really have a healing journey. Because like you said, and it really hit me because I'm now in this space too, where it's hard to prevent and heal at the same time. We do it, but it's hard. Because I feel like we are at the state of like I'm preventing it, from mm. people. I'm teaching people, mm-hmm. but it's like also then it's like the days where it's like, dang, like I haven't really resolved these issues with myself.
1: Hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Literally. Oh, and you're making me think too of like years ago. I had the absolute honor of being able to see Tarana Burke speak. Oh, um, yes, jealous. when she came to Michigan State, it was wow, just, like, you could feel the energy in the room buzzing, Um, but I remember, like, it stuck with me so hard, and she was saying, like, similar to what we're talking about, of, like, it being a lifetime of, like, healing, and, like, it truly is, like, not linear, like, you never, like, you never know where it's going, right, and, like, she was talking about how someone was, like, does it get better, like, when does it get better, and she's, like, like, She's like, it doesn't. Like, you know? Right. Like, find better. And like, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like, I I don't know. It just, like, you move through it and there's different... I'm not doing what she said, dresses at all. But I think you get what I mean. I love
0: how you're like, it was said more eloquently and like more like... Yes. (laughs) I'm
1: like, it's Sarana Mark. Like, I can't talk
0: like her. She's but yeah, <laughs> you're like, this is like the paraphrase version of that. But I still, I still get the, d- yes. and you're right. <laughs> and, and she's right that, you know, and I think that's a great mm-hmm. way to to close this out. Y'all is that there's a lot we can do obviously to prevent, there's a lot of conversations we need to be had and, you know, for anyone that is listening, and anyone who feels like this might have resonated with them, like please definitely check the show notes because some of the resources um, Leah has given out even today, I'm gonna make sure we put in the show notes so like you can read, you can click on them x y and z and once again leo thank you so 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 much for joining us thank you for your knowledge and you know is there anywhere um i don't know if you have any places where people can follow you or any resources again that you'd like to give out
1: yeah um i think in the show notes we can put some um links but i don't have like any I feel so lame. I'm like, I don't have anything to plug. <laughs> like,
0: you're not, you know why you're not lame? All this, like, real, like, tea. I, I'm over here, like, bang. Like, when I get off of this, I'm to call my line. I'm in, like, yo, go, I got not answer to your question. This is why. Like, this is why I podcast, y'all, because I'll be learning. T- listen, so the real tea of this podcast, y'all, is not even for y'all listening. It's really for me. That's the actual. Yes. Tea. That's what y'all <laughs> yeah. like. I, it's just an excuse for me to talk to
1: people yes. and other people
0: get to listen like yeah oh my god but okay so we're yes check the show notes thank you so much Leah for all the work that you're doing once again I wish you a lot of definitely self-care in this journey I wish you a lot of continued healing and I cannot wait for all of this madness of 2020 to end oh my God. because we are definitely <laughs> yes. gonna link up and raise
1: hell together <laughs> Yes, yes, that's my five-year plan, is to uh link up with you and just, like... <laughs> raise hell for as Raise now. hell.
0: Burn it. Burn it down. We're going to put that in the show notes, too, y'all, how to raise hell. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So Leah was definitely dropping some gems, so I'd also like to hone in on one point, only so it's not confusing talking about, like, the incarceration of people. So obviously, definitely, if someone is an abuser or sexually sold somebody and somebody is like, they need to go to jail, then like, hell yeah, you need to go to jail. But as I was listening and, you know, listening through the episode, I just wanted to explain that I'm very much into social narrative changing, right? And I believe that We can pass as many laws as we want to, but until we really work and and sit down and go through these social narratives and really have these conversations of okay, like, well, how you know can someone maybe still be dating their abuser or their rapist and feel uncomfortable maybe with breaking up or reporting cause it's like, well, technically I was dating them or kind of like in the episode we talked about, they were the friend of my sibling so I don't wanna make it uncomfortable. I don't know what that looks like. And I feel that we need to really start having those conversations and even deeper, you guys can even go on to, like, my personal website or if you hit the link on my bio on Instagram, my personal Instagram, at She Will Speak. I have some, like, links to a panel I was on, like, the shades of racism and rape, where we had those conversations as well. Like, until we have honest conversations about, like, homophobia when it comes to sexual violence, racism when it comes to sexual violence, like, all these kind of blockades and, like, institutional oppression, we will never really fully be able to address the issue for everybody. So I just wanted to, like, really just kind of make sense of, like, what that looks like, right? Um, And especially, I actually wrote an article for the Army of Survivors, and and it was centered around trauma-informed care. And even there, you know, I am someone who is a Black woman in modern-day 2020, right? And it's like even sometimes centering the police and law enforcement, it's kind of like there's a very strong and very valid history to why people who look like me um, do not really want to trust law enforcement sometimes. And we have a right not to believe that any justice will be served. So a lot of times when we center, like, law enforcement, police, and this this structure of reporting, like, you were giving this document to this person, it, it doesn't always work. And not everybody wants that. So again, I just wanted to, like, really just clarify that in case anybody was, like, really confused. And I definitely think that we should start having these conversations and conversations with everyone that is willing and wants to because again I am I am definitely full 100%. If somebody wants someone in jail because of what they did, hell yeah, that that's where you need to be. But sexual violence prevention is the title, right? And I am a firm believer of like okay, but what steps, what conversations, what programs, what what, you know, recovery and healing centers and circles are we really creating to prevent because prevention and punishment are two different things they're two different forms of justice right and so I'm just really happy that we were able to kind of have this conversation on like what does that look like though as far as just having these conversations so thank y'all for listening Um, Feel free to head over to, as I was saying, podcast. send us questions, send us any different things that y'all might have in mind. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a comment, all that good stuff. And if you have any conversations that you would love for me to have, whether it be by myself, if you would love maybe to have a a guest that can, you know, open up the door to this conversation more, please let me know and I'll be happy to to work that out. So once again, my name is Shania Tyler-Jacobs host about as host of as I was saying podcast thank you all once again for giving us another listen thank you and we'll catch you next Thursday